0: Welcome to The Deep End, the podcast that meets you at the intersection of communications and current events and tries to find a less rocky road to help us move forward together. In this episode, the dire need for diversity, new frames for leadership, we'll take a desperately needed look at how leadership is defined in the corporate sector and discuss the actual life or death need to rethink and make room for change. I'm your host, Vicky Krajewski, and my guest today is Halla Thomas' daughter, a CEO and chief change catalyst at the B Team. Halla, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, it's our pleasure too to tell you a little bit about Halla. She was on the founding team of Reykjavik University. She was the first female CEO of the Iceland Chamber of Commerce and co-founded an investment firm that survived Iceland's infamous financial meltdown. She also ran for president in Iceland in 2016, and you can find a load of her TED Talks on the crisis of leadership and the need for gender balance with a quick Google, and you'll also see her on Newsweek's list of 150 women who shake the world. We were just talking about how maybe we should or should not mention that because of all the earthquakes in Iceland, (laughs) but uh, it is a good compliment and distinct pleasure
1: to have you join us. So thank you so much. Thanks, Vicky. It really is my honor to be with you.
0: And let's talk a little bit more about the B team, because that's the connection between what we do at the deep end and talking about communications and what you do in that business. And it's almost more than a business. I don't even know what to call it. So would you mind telling us a little bit about
1: it? Of course not. So B-Team was founded in 2013 as a non-profit where global business leaders and leading civil society leaders decided to come together around the notion that business as usual was no longer an option. And essentially what they were recognizing then, which I think all of us as human beings have known for quite a while, is that the way we've been doing business has essentially left us with a burning planet and a broken social contract. So you could say that this group of 28 global leaders um, is working together to make the purpose of business about being in true service of humanity and our needs. And the principles are that we need to uplift sustainability, equality and accountability in the way we do business to earn trust, to address the existential climate crisis and to unlock human potential and address the fact that we are currently living in a world with unsustainable inequality, inequality that's only grown greater during this global pandemic. Yeah,
0: we were really interested in the B-team at Ripple because part of the motivation what we do with our communications training app and One of the reasons we wanted to set out to build it was because we looked at what people think about communications and leadership and how it's sort of built into a biased system. And we still operate and judge people, I think very frequently in corporate circles and it hooks into these bias archetypes. And so you pointed out that one of the things that B Team do is is to look at leadership models. We talk about this existential threat, right?
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's very clear that we cannot change how we do business or run our economy or how we do communications, marketing, branding, or anything without changing who is in leadership. And so one of our three campaigns that we're very focused on is change who to change how. So we're really pushing for the need to change who is around your decision-making table, your design tables, your communication tables. And we are really pushing for the need to close the gender gaps, the racial gap, the generational gaps, even the geographical gaps. As we look at these global challenges, you cannot solve what you cannot see and you cannot innovate with more of the same. So change who to change how is critical to transforming pretty much how we do everything. And whether we like it or not, because human beings tend to hold on to what they know and what they have done, we now cannot do that anymore because that's left us with these big global interdependent challenges facing us, one on top of another, and we're probably not even done with them. We might see more global pandemics. Climate change is certainly going to give us more challenges. We are facing a collapse in our natural system, there is absolutely no business beyond the planetary boundaries or in a world where no one trusts anyone, or can there be success when we actually don't have social cohesion and spend all of our time so divided that our democracies are facing incredible challenges. So it's clear we need to innovate and we can't do it with more of the same. So for us, changing who to changing how is very much about making sure that we have people around the table who understand and have lived experiences with the challenges we're facing. But it's also about, and maybe more importantly, about unlocking the innovation and the transformation that is needed in this decade ahead. And the only way we will do that is by having much more inclusive eyes heads hearts and hands on the agenda as we shape it and think about it in a completely new way that's great
0: so the b team work at kind of a macro and a micro level i mean having done yourself a presidential run and a campaign i think that you can look with both of those lenses
1: i mean can you talk about that Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good question. So as a small organization with outside influential leaders, because we work with leaders who very much have access and are on the global stage, we are trying to come up with a way to do business that tackles these great big global challenges. So it's fair to say that our work is more focused on the macro trends and shifts that need to happen. We, for example, think that we need to shift our thinking in business from this really unsustainable short-term mindset that has been at the heart of how we've done business for way too long into more sort of long-term sustainable value creation We also think we need to shift our definition of success from financial profit alone to actually measuring what matters. And of course, our impact on our environment, on our communities, uh, on trust, all of this matters. And so we should be measuring our environmental, social and governance impacts much more transparently and disclose them. And last but not least, we think this era that Milton Friedman introduced through his shareholder primacy essay in New York Times 50 years ago is just over, or it's fast coming to an end. And the new era is going to have to be about all stakeholders in our communities. So that brings me to your question about local. None of actually doing the work to make these shifts happen, to change the way we lead, to change the way we do business is very much something that we need to do um, almost person by person, because as I often say, you can't change the world without changing your own inner world. So very much this work starts at home and only from there can we be the kind of leaders that organizations, cities, uh, countries, civil society, organizations and movements need. I think this decade ahead offers the opportunity for anyone who wants to lean in and create a world that is better aligned with what we want and need as human beings has an opportunity to be part of some amazing innovative efforts that are happening. You know, take it from the kids on climate strikes in the streets, you know, calling us adults out and holding us accountable for their future. They are making millions of them all over the world, starting with one 16-year-old girl, Greta Thunberg, sitting in front of the parliament in Sweden. I really honestly believe that these kids have transformed the conversation about the climate crisis more than anything we have done in sort of existing positions of power in the world. Or take it to the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter. I think a lot of what's happening today is power and leadership is being redefined. It's no longer coming just from the top. It's also coming from the bottoms up. And that's a good thing. There's new power and there is existing power. What is bad is when we point fingers at each other, what is good is if we can come together and make sure that our much needed systemic transformation is being co-created by people from all stakeholder groups. We need to shift away from, I know it all, I have the answers to, I wanna be a learn it all, and I wanna find the answers together with others. Yeah. And that's Change
0: Who to Change How that you talk about. That's about actually having a dialogue, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've worked so long on gender diversity and inclusion. It's been such a big part of me. And I'm a mother of a son and a daughter. And this has been part of my work to achieve what I think would be the best form of leadership, gender balance. But at the end of the day, we are probably not going to get there without men really thinking about this as something that they need to care about. And I sometimes say that one of the problems with making progress, for example, on gender equality has been women talking to women about it more than anything else. So one of the things I am really investing a lot of time on today is working more with Male leaders, because it so happens that in most of the world, 95% of CEOs are men, most chairmen of boards are men. And while I want to change that, we don't have time to waste. So on the B team, we are really calling on business leaders to commit to realizing gender balanced and racially diverse leadership in the C suite and boardrooms by 2025. That call of ours is very ambitious, but we have several of our companies working with us that have already gotten there or are very close. And we just know that both women and men experience all of the business benefits that come with gender balance and diversity around the key decision making tables. You get a lot more diverse perspectives. You are more likely to speak About all of the interests of all your stakeholders and your dynamics change for the better. Both women and men in boardrooms report this to be the truth when they experience it. And innovation goes up. More patents are actually filed from companies with greater gender balance. Climate gets on the agenda. Accountability and new metrics get on the agenda. So at the end of the day, this is about a better bottom line, but it's also about unlocking innovation in service of a greater good. Because if we focus just on the business case of diversity and inclusion in leadership, we may f- think about it still in the short-term financial bottom line, which is not enough because there is no financial bottom line in a world with broken planetary boundaries and a broken social contract. So we need to I guess expand our definition of success and one of the best ways I know how to do it and I've seen it happen repeatedly is when we have gender balance and diversity around the table.
0: Yeah, and it breaks it open not just for people that aren't at the table but for the people that are at the table. If you are The stereotypical white male empowered with all of the privilege in the world, in a funny way, you're kind of constrained by that. I mean, because then the demand is on you for unlimited growth and all of these things that if you take them to their logical end, it just ends in destruction. It just ends in unlivable planet in a climate that isn't
1: sustainable. Do you think that there's an awareness of that or do people feel trapped in that? Yeah, I think... It's interesting, we often talk about the crisis of conformity in leadership at the B-team. And I think that's essentially our most challenging crisis. And for many business leaders, and they've shared this with me because I typically ask CEOs and board directors when I meet them, you know, how they feel about this moment we are in. And even the ones that are not doing much about these challenges yet will tell me that they're increasingly having difficult conversations with their children. And so a couple of CEOs in America told me even before the global pandemic hit that their Thanksgiving was increasingly becoming difficult. And I asked why? And it is because the children come home from college and they ask me, what is your company doing about this? Or they ask, daddy, are you going to be responsible for the largest intergenerational crime in history? I think these are the questions that the next generation is rightfully asking of us. And I think most of us now know. You asked, are we aware? I think we are awake, in particular after this year of the global pandemic, that we cannot continue with business as usual. But what I find we are in search of is the how-to. And tell me how I get going, because this is complex. Our challenges are interdependent. Take, for example, the climate crisis and the refugee crisis. They are related in very significant ways. As a matter of fact, most of the refugees are fleeing climate change, directly or indirectly, because they're unable to grow foods or crops or feed their family or get water or have jobs based on this because they are going because of climate change. And so we have to understand these complex natures of our challenges in much more holistic way than we've ever had to do before. And if it's one thing I've learned, it's just I've seen when we have diverse teams, we're so much more likely to have holistic thinking and see the interconnectivity and the challenges we're facing and speak about it in a way that will resonate with the groups that we want to speak to. Because, for example, again, the climate crisis, it hits women and people of color harder than anyone else. So the people that contribute to accelerating that crisis, they are not the first to be hit, even if we're all going to face it. I think this is the moment where we cannot give in to our human tendency to ask ourselves, who am I to do something about the climate crisis? This is a moment where we have to ask what or who am I going to choose to be? What am I going to choose to do? at a time like this, how am I going to choose to serve? We now absolutely, without a doubt, have to lean in somewhere, somehow, in some
0: way. It's so easy, isn't it, to just look away And in some regards, I think we have a tendency to just, it's not mine. I'm just going to do my job. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to make breakfast. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home, you know, and I have to do it because I have to pay my bills. And I think you're pointing to the fact that it really is on every one of us and we're all leaders. I mean, I'm the leader of myself, right? But
1: how do we exist in that space? Because in some regards, it's just terrifying. Yeah, I think we are actually at this really interesting intersection these are times that are very trying work has moved into the home there is possible mental well-being pandemic coming on top of the global health pandemic there is really a pandemic of inequality if we think about the widening gap between those who have and those who have not these are really really immense challenges and apathy is probably an easy answer and giving into fear particularly if you take in a lot of media is understandable but that also calls for really different qualities in leadership one you are right there's a leader inside of every one of us in my opinion and our greatest and most important work in life is to unlock that leadership and service of something greater than ourselves And I think that is the work of all of us. And so, yes, some of us sit in formal leadership positions and have the opportunity and the responsibility to work with big global leaders, with big voices, as I do. So I take that accountability, that responsibility very seriously. Uh, Yet I try really hard to meet this moment. With what I sometimes call, and, and I'm there referring to one of our most courageous B-team leaders, Cristiana Figueres, often called the architect of the Paris Agreement. But she talks about choosing the mindset of stubborn optimism. And so, because we have two choices right now. We can give in to the fear and either meet it with apathy, or we can choose to be stubbornly optimistic that The fact that we created all of what is in the world right now also means that we can create all of what we want the world to be like if we choose to. This is a moment where we can say, I am going to be part of a reset because now there's been an awakening. People know we can't go on as we have. And now there's this enormous demand for innovation, out-of-the-box thinking, and courage to build something better. So where do you find
0: that right now? Because, I mean, I go online, you know, I go on Twitter and
1: it's just on fire, right? It's just burning down. And so what keeps you optimistic? (laughs) The next generation. I just think that they are such inspiration. They're also sometimes give me a headache, including my own kids and, and younger generations of employees who have radically different mindset. But they give me hope. And I have the great privilege and responsibility to work with some of the leading global CEOs. And so one of the things we've been doing in order to help these large global companies, some of them that are 100 years old or more, think again and rethink everything that they're doing is we are doing these intergenerational dialogues. And uh, we did one uh, with about 15 global CEOs and about 15 of these youth climate activists. We played some games and got to know each other. And before we knew it, a few hours into the evening, some really strong insights were gleaned from both sides. And for example, IKEA, which is one of our B team companies and a great Nordic company, hosted this for us in one of their stores in New York City. And they created on the back of this a sustainability advisory with youth leaders, and that's been an incredible input for them as they are thinking about their strategy to be people and planet positive by 2030, and they've gotten a lot of value from that, and other companies have done similarly. A different sector, Allianz, Asset Manager and Insurance, They created an ESG board, basically a separate board that focuses on their environmental, social and governance performance. And once a year, they invite the children of those board directors to come in and ask questions. And so these are some examples of how some companies are starting to build these bridges to the next generation. And I think we need to do that. We need to close the gender gap. We need to be closing the geographic gap a lot more. We need much more of a V mindset that we're all in this together, that this is one world facing these multiple challenges, and we can only do it by embracing interdependent thinking, by investing in justice, because we have left so many people behind, and by accounting for and including all stakeholders as we try to reset our leadership, our business practices, our communications, and our economic system to work for everyone. So at the end of the day, I really don't need any human being that doesn't want to live in a world where we enjoy shared well-being on a healthy planet.
0: Is part of that a self-awareness, right? Is part of that like taking a step back and reflecting? I feel like in daily life and in corporate culture, we've been pushed so much to do more, to deliver more, and that's the model. And you just go harder, harder, harder until you're burnt out. How do, we, how do we find awareness in the middle of all of that? How do we sort of step off, step out?
1: I think it's all about self-awareness and raising our own consciousness. And I think the gift of the global pandemic, which is hard to say because the pain and suffering for so many has been great and still is great in so many countries, But I still think that at the higher level, when we look back and we've healed our wounds, we will collectively see that the gift of the pandemic pause was an awakening. And the awakening happened inside of each of us because we did take a step off the typical hamster wheel. And I say this with a lot of respect for the fact that many, many people, Vicky, did not enjoy a pandemic pause. In fact, it's been some of the hardest times in their lives, so I don't want to be disrespectful for a minute to that fact. But if enough people in positions of power find a way to take a look at what we have done and find a way to ask, who will I choose to be? Not just what will I choose to do, but who will I choose to be? And if we ask who we will choose to be, maybe we can start thinking about leadership a little differently from, I will choose to be the person who has the answers. We've seen countries where that's been the approach by national leaders not fare so well. We've seen that more shared collaborative, humble, compassionate leadership works better. So I do think that on a human level, our ideas have shifted. And that's where changing the world comes from, inside of us. I think we have dropped a little bit from our heads and only thinking rationally about the financial results of the next quarter into more of our heart, asking questions like, what do I deeply care about? Um, But it is easy to fall back into our patterns. It is going to take a conscious effort to commit to the kind of leadership that this moment calls for. Leadership that is much more humble because no single individual, organization, country, sector has the answers. But together we can find them. It is going to take a rethink of so many things. Like not thinking, oh, when we go back to normal. There is no back to normal, Vicky. There's maybe a new normal, or there is a continuous unthinkable moments one after another facing us. And the only way we can survive that is to grow our resilience. I think every single person needs to be thinking about how do I build my community of courage, my community of resilience? How do I surround myself with people who help me avoid my blind spots? help me be more courageous, help me be a better leader, Uh, instead of thinking, how do I show up with the answers, telling other people what to do? It's, It's a very different reality, and no one will be successful in it without a right balance of courage, humility, and humanity. I think this is almost like the trifecta. And frankly, all of that, sits in the heart and so one of our biggest challenges probably ahead in terms of how we communicate to people in our messaging is going to be how do we unlock the heart space in ourselves and by doing that in others and i think that's a very interesting and, and exciting challenge but we've definitely not been trained in business school to do that
0: Oh my gosh it's a vault it's a black box that you would only go to after the plane crashes isn't it and even actually I'm a former teacher and in classrooms it's not allowed and when i was working on instructional design i was talking about how do we make room for emotion in you know our learning And so you work at this macro level, but it really is so personal. I think the New Yorker called you a living emoji of sincerity, if I can embarrass you completely. But can you talk a little bit about authenticity and like, how do we do that? And if it's so not allowed, right? Like, how do we make room for
1: it? Yeah. Who needs a title when you can be an emoji of sincerity? Um, It was during my run for president that it was in the final debate that a reporter from the New Yorker was observing the debate, probably not understanding much of what I said in Icelandic, but reading my body language and doubt me that title, which I first resisted, but then owned with pride. So I don't know if you can do authenticity what I think you can do is you can, as as a leader and as a person, and I think it's incredibly powerful, and that is to drop more from your head to your heart when you face fears. In our head, we have what I have sometimes referred as the imposter syndrome or imposter thoughts. We have all of these ideas that we are not good enough or the right people to address the things we see around us. And so and I've had so many people of, of great success say to me that this has been part of what they've had to learn to deal with. So I think my first advice on a personal level is to kind of come from the head into the heart and what I like to call what I did when I was running for president and definitely suffered the imposter syndrome or the imposter thoughts. And, and particularly before when I was deciding if to run or not, I constantly asked myself, who am I to run for president? And then I finally, after months and months of wasting energy on that, I asked myself a better question, which is who am I not to serve? And I think this is the kind of moment where we need to ask that. So what I learned to do, and it's not easy work, And it is inner work is to befriend my own imposter and when you befriend your own imposter you can reframe it as someone who is a friend who will keep you humble make sure you won't fall into the hubris syndrome which is probably a far more deadly leadership problem Uh, and we've actually seen how deadly it is during the global pandemic so i would much rather be humble than suffer from hubris personally and i would much more recommend that as a leadership quality. As a matter of fact, I think the confidence, the overconfidence of so many leaders has brought many businesses and even countries off a cliff. And I don't think humility has. I do think you need humble confidence, though. And the way I like to talk about it is I don't focus so much on being confident because I'm not sure I would have done anything in my life if I waited until I was confident to do it. I focus on courage. And courage sits in your heart. Courage is actually comes from the Latin word core or heart, and that's where it sits. So the only way you can be courageous is by dropping from your head to your heart. And the only way you can be authentic and sincere is when you focus your energy and attention on something you care about deeply. And the, so the way for me to confront the The fact that our economic system and the way we think about leadership is broken and is stuck in an old mindset of a competitive zero sum game thinking is i just really try to drop to my heart and figure out what i really care about i really care about my two kids and their generation and the next generation i really care that they live in a world where they can enjoy nature where they can unlock their full human capacity where they can enjoy trust and, and the democratic fabric, uh, being healthy. And so when I drop there, it becomes sincere, it becomes authentic. And I don't let what is allowed or not allowed be what I do. So while running for president, this helped me get from a day where I had 1% in the polls to be in the runner up with 28% of the vote against my even own wildest dreams. And I really believe a lot of that was about befriending my imposter, having a really strong moral compass with clear purpose and principle for why I was running laid out up front, held onto that during the difficult moments and having built a community of courage and resilient people around me that helped me go when almost no one believed I should. Wow, yeah.
0: And do you find that Doing that is a choice. I mean, and do you find that making that choice attracts other people who are making that choice for you?
1: There's no doubt that when you care deeply about something and you share that vision and those values with the world, you will find your community of courage. And I think loneliness uh, is an epidemic in and of itself. Is partly coming from that model of rational economic man being the only thing we're taught to respect and be. And so I can tell you as someone who founded an investment firm that there's no rational economic man. So I'm not disrespecting the rational, but I really believe that what we set out to do when we co-founded this investment firm with a vision to incorporate more feminine values into finance, It was not about rejecting that financial due diligence was important, but it was about uplifting the need that emotional due diligence might be of value too. And so many of the things that we have been taught in business school and in practicing business has been using only half of our brain, even far less than that, and not even tapping into what might be our more powerful engine behind our brain, our heart.
0: I think these binaries, right, they sort of force us one direction or the other, and they force us to think that the choice is, you know, success or sustainability and, you know, winning or losing. You know, you talk about authenticity, courage, humility. How do these traits help us find a
1: middle ground? I think you're absolutely right. We are the tyranny of an either or mindset may have brought us here. and. The, the beauty of the both-and mindset might be what gets us from here to the 2030 vision we have at the B-Team of an inclusive economy uh, where we have more shared well-being and we live on a healthy planet. The both-and is about profit through purpose. Of course, being in business is about financial results. But it is also about using your innovation, your research and development, your brands, your people, your full stakeholder system to address these great, big challenges, because otherwise you can't be around for another hundred years. And this gives people something that I think we're all here to find. It gives people purpose, meaningful purpose. And what we can unlock in ourselves and others when we have purpose is beyond any other incentive. I just don't think there is anything more powerful. And this is a moment where we need to unlock 100% of humanity's potential in service of a future that is better than the reality we are now in. And so you don't have to choose between. And as a matter of fact, if you are choosing between, you are probably going to be left behind, whether you're a leader or an organization in what I think is going to be the greatest transformation You're going to have to choose now, if you want to stay relevant, to be part of this bigger agenda in order to attract talent.
0: I think that's a huge point, because I think a lot of people feel attached to the old model because they feel more secure there. And they feel like that's safe, right? I know what success looks like here. I know how to do this. I know how to beat you and win, right? Like I, and, and so therefore, I'm, and they'll actually get aggressive about hanging on to it. And I feel like those kinds of leaders in that old model will actually threaten people saying, you know, do you want to be a winner or do you want to be a
1: sustainable loser, right? Like, <laughs> and, but it depends but it on fear, doesn't it? Yeah, I think ultimately, simplifying things a lot, there are two emotions that move people fear and love. And I know which one is going to make you as a leader feel better. And I know which one is going to lead to a better world. And we have now seen a lot of leaders feed into the fear rhetoric, and they have at least achieved some short-term success, but are also achieving some long-term destruction with that kind of leadership. So it is about shifting our minds to what we need to achieve for the long term. And the financial markets, you are absolutely right, the financial markets are a big part of the answer because the capital system is incentivizing short-term financial performance alone. But I have no doubt where things are going. And if you take a look at surveys from you know women, next generation that are increasingly going to hold on to the wealth, they increasingly are asking to invest their money in line, they're asking for their college endowments to be invested in line with their values. And consumers are absolutely ready for it and are seeking out and rewarding companies that embrace this. And asset owners in the world are at the forefront of driving an asset owner alliance to uh, make sure that investment portfolios are aligned with a net zero carbon future, gender goals, gender equality goals, and sustainability and environmental goals. This is happening everywhere. So in my opinion, it is not really a choice if you have the ambition to be around for the long term. It might be a choice if you just want to milk whatever you can get out of your business, out of you as a leader in a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. And it's not even children. I mean, it's it's even younger generations that are in the workforce now, when you look at the kind of time frames of global climate change. And it's
1: so urgent. It's so urgent. It's here it's here look at the freeze in texas the fires from the amazon and brazil to california the heat waves across europe the the flooding you know it, this is here it's in our face climate change is here and but so are the solutions and if we could fast forward our ways of working about 7 to 10 years which most people agree we did during the pandemic we can fast forward our use of energy our way of eating and a lot of other solutions that's going to take all of us right now. And I think Europe is at the, at the forefront of this. They have a pretty strong green recovery agenda. And that's not an agenda that every country or every company can go on along. We need radical collaboration like we've never had before. But that's fun. And to me, this is the most exciting time one could be alive. Think about the opportunity to be part of transforming the world. But it starts with transforming your own inner world. And I don't think anyone can be part of calling themselves a leader, whether they are in formal positions of leadership or not, and say, I want to be in good service of the world, unless they're willing to do some of the hard work to transform yourself, your mindsets, and your approach to leadership to be more relevant and fitting for the reality. We are in and the reality of the radical collaboration it's going to take to get us from this fairly difficult moment in history to what could be one of the most exciting ones we get to experience. I absolutely love that
0: reframe and I, I almost want to cry because you, there's so much fear and negativity and, it, and it's almost you know every time you turn on the news, you know it's disaster, disaster. And to say, that always in fear there is an opportunity, isn't there?
1: And there's something there for you to pick up and to do. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, that really resonates with me. And I feel it in, you know, in my own family and friends and my staff and lots of partners. And yet I get to work with people who are really trying to do something about these things. So I can only imagine that some of those listening uh, have those moments. I think all of us do. maybe I could give people sort of five steps that I think are critical to trying to manage that that inner state, manage that leader inside of you so that you're better able to meet this moment in a way that the world needs you to.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about courage and, you know, it's a big word when you're just sat there feeling afraid or wanting to just like Do another Netflix marathon,
1: right? Uh, By the way, I do the Netflix marathons too. Yeah. Yeah. So, Vicky, I think at the end of the day, each one of us has to take very deliberate steps right now to manage the fear. And if that means watching Netflix, reading good novels and turning off the news, I'm all for it. And I actually think it is very smart to be very deliberate. And what you pay attention to at a time like this, because things can deplete you or they can regenerate you. And I know the news mostly deplete us now. But there's five steps that I think each one of us needs to think about. And basing this basically just on my own experience. But the first step really to being a leader who wants to be in service at this moment is to befriend your imposter. To not let those imposter thoughts be the boss of you. To not let them limit to where and how you serve. And I think we all have these imposter thoughts. So this is a time where you no longer ask, who am I to do something about something I care about? This is a time where you ask, who am I not to? Befriend your imposter and see it as a friend who keeps you humble, who keeps you searching for company that may make you smarter, that keeps you striving to do more. Second step, make sure you have your own moral compass. There is so much happening in our world that throws us off our game, off of where we're going, makes us question things, new things coming at us all the time. We cannot stay the course without having an inner compass. So write down, and it may be a process of working with someone you trust. What is your purpose? Try to figure out and put words to your purpose. Why are you here? To do what? And what are your principles? What is gonna guide your journey as you do that? If joy is part of it, I highly recommend it. Joy or love, anything that will give you sort of positive principles to live by will be helpful at a time like this. Three, make sure you have your own community of courage. And if that community is also people who have demonstrated resilience in their own leadership, the better. Your community of courage may include all kinds of people, but make sure at least that you change who to change how you think about being courageous now. That it's not just people who are exactly like you, have the same lived experiences, look like you, talk like you, feel like you. Put some people into your community of courage that challenge you and help you open up your heart. It might be your masseuse, it might be a fortune teller. Be unafraid to put someone into your community of courage that's gonna help you stay the course. Number four, make a commitment to be in the president of your life and of your mind. So we may not all become presidents of nations or companies or organizations, but we can all be presidents of our life. And to me, and particularly our mind, and that is presidents of their own mind choose the mindset that they're going to have. And that's a morning exercise and that's an evening exercise. And we have to choose now because it's so easy to be pulled into the mindsets that are Floating all around us, and particularly if we read and take in too much news. And last but not least, stop thinking you need to have the answers and start asking questions. The most important questions you can ask right now is, who will I choose to be? And then, how will I choose to serve? And ask that not just of yourself, but everyone around you. And you might inadvertently start transforming others, because the answers to those questions come from the heart and not just from the head. So those that would be my sort of summary advice to individuals in meeting this moment and trying to show up with the kind of leadership that is needed.
0: I think I might write that down and stick it on my wall. <laughs> it's, it's good reminders to keep for all of us. Um, what's next for you? We're talking about optimism and hope, and I have to say it's a rare topic nowadays. So you know, what, what are some of the exciting things on your horizon or projects with the B team?
1: The, our focus right now is around these three themes. I told you already a lot about change who to change how, you know, not just representation, but building conversations that are inclusive of multiple perspectives and closing all these gaps we currently have. So that's a very important one because otherwise we cannot change what's on the agenda or how we do anything. Another one is love where we live, to really focus on taking the climate. And sustainability conversation into a place of love. Because I think we've been talking about these issues so much with a fear mindset, all of us in this movement. And it's time to think about these issues as something that we all love because we all love animals. We love nature. We love clean air. We love good health. Like it's time to talk about let's love where we live and um, talk about sustainability as a big part of being able to feel love to our communities, because in our communities, it is those we've left behind that are also being left more behind by the transition that's ahead. So even people who may get feel threatened today by the conversation on climate because they think we're taking jobs away, need to be invited into a conversation of Let's all love where we live. Let's create good quality, healthy, green jobs for you too. Let's include the people that are currently don't want to be part of this journey because they actually feel like leftovers rather than someone we love and, and invite all of them to be part of a just an inclusive transition to a better, greener, fairer future. And then last but not least, we are focusing on, um, we call it to reset or to write the rules. We think the rules of the game were built largely for how we do business, how we run our economy around this notion that the only purpose of business, the only purpose of leaders in business was to maximize shareholder wealth. And we think we need to write new rules, whether they be policies or laws, or if they just become new leadership principles, or as we often call it on the B team, we're working on and putting out later this year, the new CEO playbook, which is really this sort of new agenda for what it means to be a CEO today, that it has to be inclusive of addressing all those things, inclusive of metrics that measure transparently and disclose openly how you're doing against these great big talents is. are you achieving net zero carbon by 2050 or before? The most progressive ones are trying to get there by 2030 or 2035 or 2039. Are you creating jobs for refugees? Can people with disabilities find a place of belonging in your workplace? Do you have 100% human workplaces? And last but not least, are you exercising governance on behalf of all stakeholders in your system? Are you using your innovation to make progress In line with all of the stakeholders that matter to you? And are you exercising transparency so that we can build trust again? Because right now, we trust very few people. So these are sort of the three pillars of our work. You can see it's all about advancing sustainability, equality, and accountability. And at the end of the day, none of that happens without us embracing a new vision for leadership, but ultimately about being in service of humanity. Fantastic thank you <laughs>
0: i think it just feels so rare and refreshing to talk about joy and love and you know it's a completely different conversation from i think where so many of us wake up and go to sleep and even dream now you know in this in the middle of this pandemic so thanks for being with us and listening to us today and thank you to our sincere and world-shaking guest Hello Thomas-Dotter. Um, hello, where can people go to find out more about your work and get involved? And I want the CEO playbook. When's that coming?
1: <laughs> yeah, people can go to our website, bteam.org, to find sort of general information about our work. And I would say also more broadly, uh, tap into our sister organization, B Corporations, which is a movement that is all around the world that we work a lot with. The new CEO playbook will hopefully be out by summer or no later than the fall. So we're hoping to come out of the pandemic and spreading a more inspiring look at what leadership not only can, but must look like based on what B-team leaders have been doing, but also so many others. And at the end of the day, this is a movement. And why B-team is a small organization with big and bold and brave leaders that are doing their bit, this is a movement that needs all of us. And so my final this, uh, message, I say what the Bee Movement often uplifts is, be the change yourself uh, and find a way to be part of this movement in, in whatever way you can. But it is no longer okay to not be part of moving us from here to that future I know as humans we all want.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can find out more about our own inclusive communication styles model and get personalized communications coaching at ripple.com and check back with us at the deep end from ripple for more great guests and insights into the communications issues shaping our lives at home and at work.